You're listening to Addicted to Growth. Join us each week as we sit down with sales, marketing, and revenue leaders on the front lines of innovation. New insights, new playbooks, new tech, new lessons. Step forward into growth and development or backwards into safety and security. The choice is yours. Let's get into the show. Welcome back to another episode of Addicted to Growth. And Kevin and I are super excited to sit down with Michael Tuso, who is the Director of Revenue Performance over at Chili Piper. I'm super excited to, to dive into his story and, and you know, the, the path that he's been paving for himself. And, and, you know, we're just super happy to have him here today. So, Michael, welcome to the show. Yeah, absolutely. Super excited to be here with you all. Awesome. So I guess you kind of shared with us an interesting piece, you know, kind of about how you, you got to where you are and a little bit about your political background. So would you mind kind of sharing with, with the community a little bit about, you know, your background, where, where you came from and how you kind of winded up into where you are now? And then also maybe some of the trials and tribulations that you might not have shared um, that, that people would find interesting and in, in, um, value from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've always had an interest in, in sort of business, but in college, I, I deviated that from a, a little bit. In, in high school, I was super active in, in a, a marketing group and ran for like a statewide officer position, was super involved in high school. And when I got to college, um, I got like very political and was involved in various campaigns. Uh, I ran for student body president as a freshman in college um, and won. Uh, and then after college, like con- continued on that trajectory, um, uh, I, I ran a statewide political campaign as one of my first jobs um, out of college. Um, and people think a quota is stressful. Um, that was way more stressful than anything I have done in my career. Um, 23 years old and trying to go up against seasoned veterans in the political arena in a swing state um, was uh, was really, really just fascinating and so many different things moving and sleep deprivation and not making, you know, enough money and trying to figure, it's just crazy. So um, that was an absolute wild ride and no surprise afterwards, I um, I said, uh, you know, at the end of college, I studied abroad and that might, not, that might be a nice place to go right now, uh, is like quite literally the thought I had. So um, long story short, that's essentially how I got involved in sales. Back when I was student body president, um, I was on a trip with a student body vice president at another college, and um, he randomly posted on Facebook about this work abroad opportunity that the Fortune 500 company had. So I said, why not? I'll message him. Like, you know, aren't crazy opportunities found in, you know, worse ways? So I hit it off with the hiring manager. Um, I actually accepted the position in a Starbucks in London while I was on vacation. Uh, and then two weeks later, um, I found myself in uh, Bolivia. Um, I ended up staying abroad and uh, we, I moved to Costa Rica shortly after that. Um, I ended up staying abroad for a year and a half. So um, the early part of my 20s, I was um, overseas more than I was in the United States. I spent two years abroad. 
um, learned a foreign language, uh, had no idea how to manage a team, nothing about international management. I once had to sit down with a lawyer and try to like translate a business contract. Um, and then managing the people abroad was kind of like being on an episode of the real world plus having to manage those people. And that is not a hyperbole. Uh, so that was the very early days of, of my career uh, before I got super deep into sales. Man, um, so my first question is like, what have you taken with you that you learned early on that you kind of still hold on to today that kind of makes you unique in, in what you do? Yeah, I mean, um you can't be like super passive and be successful at the same time. You have to, you have to drive the results that you seek. And, um, you know, I had no idea how to run a campaign. Um, I'm told that we did a really great, great job, like, um, after that experience, but being in the thick of it, you have to drive results. Um, and very frequently in business and politics, that means fundraising and sales dollars. Um, and those don't, you know, the dollars don't wait for uh, wait for you to come to them. You have to go um, and, and be very proactive, and you have to be a driver. Um, I, I talk about this study very frequently, but um, Gallup did a study on mid-level management um, across, like, millions of companies and millions of people, and no one's talking about this, but you absolutely cannot be a passenger and be successful in order to be a manager and be successful. Um, you have to be a driver. You have to own the results. You have to have really good interpersonal skills and, and not just come across that all you care about is the, is the bottom line. So while you have to be results oriented, you have to be people driven first and understand what, um, you know, what makes people tick in order to, to motivate them to, to get to the results that you seek. So that was a key motivator for me then. And it continues to be a, a driving force behind what I do. I love that. And one of the things too, that I really love about it is the the people drivenness, right? Like a lot of sales leaders, um, I feel like forget the fact that like their number one job is to serve their people and their teams. And then focusing on, you know, the, the revenue and things be as a result of that. And so I'm curious, like what sorts of things do you do to kind of build better connections and be really people focused on your team over at Chili Piper? Or is yeah. there, you, do you have like a team that you're managing or uh, I'm sorry? Yeah. So I've hired coach and train and led um, uh, the SDRs account executives and account managers here um, at Chili Piper. I was the first um, management hire. I've always had this nagging question in my head. Um, you know, I haven't started a company sort of when the doors opened. Um, and I've always wanted to do that as a sales leader and say, you know, could I bring a, a less than a million dollars in the bank company and grow it pretty rapidly? Um, I think I've answered that question. And it's been yes, with over 500% growth since I started here, um, you know, a, a couple years ago. Um, I think one of the biggest problems in, in leadership today is, especially sales leadership, is it's go hit your number, go do this, go do that. Um, and people fundamentally don't know how to do that. Um, and we aren't teaching people, by and large, like putting in the infrastructure to coach, train, and lead. 
Um, so part of some of what I do here at Chili Piper um, is instead of like saying go do, I make them a part of and invested in their own growth. And we don't just talk about it as if, as if it's some sort of pipe dream, as if uh, as many companies do, they say everybody says it these days, you know, ever since uh, the, you know, the book was published about growth mindset, everyone says that, you know, they encourage their companies to grow. But then I, I, I rarely find that as, um, as something that's actually taking place, like true development of people. So one of the things we did is we kind of flipped this on its head at, at Chili Piper and I said, look, I can teach you all these sales concepts that I learned and, and you'll be decent and all these different things, or I can make you invested in the process. So we've anchored performance to where we wanted to be instead of reacting to whatever numbers are, are missed or not attained or whatever. So, um, well, I asked our account management team, I said, hey, here's a book I'd like for you to read it. You don't have to. And then I'd like for you to involve the sales team. And then we're going to train on it. Then we're going to do... Um, then we're going to do coaching that reinforces that training singularly focused on this one thing until all departments have it down and then move on to the next thing. That single act right there was probably one of the biggest things that we did um, prior to all the craziness going on in the world that helped us stay like collectively as a company and a growth mindset to help like weather whatever storm we were about to go to, not knowing what the impacts and consequences would be. Um, and I saw a lot of fear. I think we all saw a lot of fear out there when things sort of started getting crazy. Um, but one of the cool things about the team is like, look, we can be like really reactive in all of this. But what I'd really like to do is now is a time that we could up our game, get better, outsell the competition, be ready, double down on our product investments, and most importantly, double down on our people. Um, and so immediately I said, open, you know, my calendar is always open, but I emphasize it like, whatever coaching that you need uh, for the account managers who were trying to hold the base from churn, we did more specific trainings around that. So I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that sort of um, need to be done in this area around like, go hit your number, go do your job. Um, but rather getting them invested, showing them how to do it and creating an ecosystem of learning across all of your teams. So, so it was a big, was a big focus for you guys because I think you're right. Like the the investment on learning and 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 guiding and showing how right instead of saying here's your number go right really showing the steps and investing the tools yeah, right. and the yeah, skill set. Yeah. Wait, Kevin, sit back up. You froze. Oh man, um, <laughs> but, you know I, I think it's super easy for for companies to just say hey here's the number go hit it like you said or or. Even, you know, there are situations where people are like, you know what, We're, we have to hit a growth number. It's going to take this many salespeople and they just throw headcount at, at growth. You've guys kind of reverse engineered it and really invested in, in the people that were there and sure they had the skill sets, kind of got to the level set of, of performance and then find ways to, to replicate what, you, what you've done. Have you guys ever looked at any type of analysis that may say, you know what, the investment in a headcount with enablement or within training is going to provide 5x or 2x or 3x what an individual contributor seller does? Like, Do you have any numbers that can show the proof point? Yeah, I, so I, yeah, what set me on this journey, yeah, the, the data is certainly a big, um, a big area that I think we all, including myself, need to get better at. Um, in terms of, of ROI. 
Um, I did run these numbers when I was really young in my career, um, and it's actually what prompted me on this journey in sales enablement. I remember being in my first month of uh, basically onboarding as an account executive. Um, so my, my, my journey was a little bit different. Um, after that story, I became an SDR and then was quickly promoted to SDR manager. And then I became an account executive. Like I always wanted to close deals. So, and I really enjoyed doing that um, before I went back into management. Um, and in that transition period, literally from going from an SDR manager to, so I knew what management meant, at least um, at a beginner's level, and then going into it from a, um, with, with, through that lens, um, I literally remember needing help. Like, how do I do a quote? How do I enter this into the CRM? How do I do this? And literally the sales enablement person before we called it sales enablement was literally not a round. And I'm thinking like, how are you paid a hundred and whatever, $200,000 a year to be absent from your team? And I see that across companies, reps come to me like, I get at least 10 inquiries a week like this saying, I'm not getting the help that I need from my manager from household name company. So um, I did the ROI after that. And out of my hiring class, um, six of them were gone were within uh, two months uh, out of nine people, six of them were gone. I mean, the ROI is like very clear to that. Um, just a few months after that, there were only two of us standing. And um, I ended up being the top performer just a couple months later. Um, in the entire division of the company, um, but you lost every single other people on the team. And that is so hurt. You lose the institutional knowledge, you learn the, the prospecting, the data, like everything that goes with it. Um, and uh, I'm really proud to say, and I know sometimes people don't believe me when I see this, that no person on my team has quit in the past year. Um, and I think that coaching and training um, has a lot to do with that. And I know like, you know, people say when they hear statistics like that, they don't believe them, but you know, you can go verify that with my team. Um, and I attribute that to one thing and I, I've attributed it before and it's the coaching and training and support that, that you give them. So the ROI becomes very clear. Um, but, you know, arguably, I, I think there's still a lot of um, sort of room to be done there and in, in studying the differences in ROI. So that's a really great point you, you bring up. Yeah, I also want to want to touch on that really quickly about retention. Um, one of the the things that I've talked about on a couple of different panels, especially in the this diversity and equity and inclusion conversation, was the retention of of talent. And and I just would love for you to dive a little bit into, you know, how like what are some of the little things that you do on your floor or virtually now with your team to kind of keep them connected and keep them engaged like outside of the um continuous learning environment and giving them the tools right like i'm i'm mind blown that that there's a stat right like you like not many sales leaders can say they haven't had anybody do that in the last year so kudos to you and would love you know some little any details that you'd, you'd be open to sharing yeah, on the topic of diversity and inclusion, um, I think that that people sort of have this mentality of like, oh, I need to like check the box here. And I, I see that a lot in sales. Um, and I think we should really kind of steer away from that thinking. Um, you know, as, as a member of a now protected group, I think that um, we're not we're not successful despite our diversity, we're successful because of our diversity. Um, you can see it across 
uh, founder teams that are more diverse across the C-suite that are more diverse across the management team that are more diverse. Companies are simply, and there's so much data that supports this, companies are more successful when their teams are diverse. Um, when you have, uh, you know, in that same Gallup study, it said that women are better managers, but often overlooked in the hiring process. And um, so much of that, everyone's blaming hiring right now. And there's so much work that we have to do um, with hiring, but it's too simplistic to look at it from that perspective. You'll never remove all the the cognitive bias um, in our in our hiring processes. Someone's ability to do uh, the job, irrespective of everything else. Um, yes, those things are are fundamentally important, and we should do as much as we can to remove it, as much of the bias that we can. But you can never re- re- remove it fully. I think that you have to be more active and intentional about including these underrepresented groups, and not just checking a box and crossing your fingers and hope that it happens. And the companies of the future and the companies that are going to um, win the future are going to be the ones who get that right. And it's going to, you know, it's understanding that um, maybe some of the people in those groups aren't always going to speak up because, I mean, as an only, you know, I just posted about this the other day. I've never, I haven't met another LGBT leader in sales um, until like a month ago. And I've been in this for uh, almost a decade. And, you know, that's unconscionable um, on so many levels, but companies have a lot to do here and it's not a checkbox and people need to start uh, viewing it as not successful, you know, despite, uh, but but we are successful because of it. And um, I think we really have a long way to go there and staffs, companies sort of act like they, they're leading the way, um, you know, with, with industries on this, but there's just so much further to go. Yeah. And, and you touched on a couple of key things that hit me really strongly and being also a member of, you know, an underrepresented group in the tech world. One of the things that I didn't do a good job of and I'm doing a better job of now, but it's trying to find others that are like me. And just to keep it 100, Michael, like it, it never did it occur to you to say, let me go find other people like me while I'm already in this grind. It mm-hmm. just never happened. And so I luckily stumbled into a few groups and thank God I did because they've given me things that I've never gotten from anywhere else. And I don't know if you could, you know, share how you've managed that relationship with finding another like you. It, it does something different that no other relationships have done for me. So I don't know if you feel comfortable or, or want to share that, but it definitely changed my life when I found other people like me in the space. Yeah, I think so much of it is just uh, people knowing that there's there's like leaders out there that they can look up to. Um, you know, luckily this isn't um, my first rodeo with this. I was... Um, the first LGBT male student body president in, in North Carolina. And it received a lot of attention um, when all of that happened. So I was sort of used to everything that came with that. Um, so then when it happened professionally, uh, I didn't I didn't feel like an only, I felt like, oh, this is like me doing this all over again. <laughs> so it's like the, the neuron pathway had already been paved and it was like, here we go again. <clears throat> as far as like your point about um, you know, help, helping others and kind of relating with others. Um, one of the things I've always tried to do is like so frequently it's about like 
uh, normalizing it and providing coaching and mentorship. So it's the same as I would do for anyone else, but um, kind of doing it under that, like, I'm like you capacity. Um, and, and in my career that I, I've noticed that just, just by letting people know that there's like leaders in this space it has gone a really long way. But then again, being like proactive with the coaching training and development there. Um, yeah. And I, I, you know, I'm all 100% my calendar is open, you know, inside of Chili Piper, outside of, of Chili Piper, helping other people, but especially in underrepresented groups um, in any, you know, coaching capacity that I can. So I try to take what's something that I'm very passionate about and using the skill set that I built there to just sort of partner with other people in that capacity. So that's kind of how I think about it. It's interesting because it, it seems like you have this, um, there, there's a series of, of, of you being the first in something. Um, and I know, you know, one of the things that we, we briefly touched on was a post that talks about like, you're the only person on LinkedIn with the, the job title that you have, right? Um, and you mentioned some other first, you know, just, just now what is it about you? Like, is there something just maybe from a personal level that, you know, you, you kind of see this personality trait, like where does it all come from? Yeah. I mean, um, honestly, like I, in, in my mind, um, the things that I like doing, I go after and I don't let, you know, whatever preconceived notion that what the world is supposed to be like to stop me. Um, I wanted to run for student body president. I wanted to um, be the top, you know, sales rep uh, on a team. I wanted to be a manager. Um, and if it just so happens um, that, you know, I help pave the way for, for other people, that's really awesome. But I think you, you really have to put in your head what you want to do um, and, and go after it. And if there's adversity along the way, in my experience, that only makes your case even stronger. It only makes you... Um, you know, even better at the thing that you're trying to do anyway, then ensure do you feel like things aren't fair and, you know, life isn't fair. So you have to treat everything as a, as a learning opportunity. Um, and, and if, if you don't pay that way, then no one else will. Um, and so I just literally in my head, like when I heard that statistic about, um, and this was a number of years ago about the average VP of sales tenure being, you know, 17 and 19 months, I said, why the hell would I do that? Like, why would I do that? And granted, you could argue the pay. I'm like, well, not ever, you know, being money driven is not the only thing um, that matters while your two feet are planted on this earth. And um, I think it's, a, it's about time people start realizing that. Um, and again, for me, it goes back to like, if I go into a company, I want to be the best at what I do anywhere. And for people to be able to cite that as an example of what world class looks like. And I can't do that in 19 months. I need more time to do that. And for whatever the reasons, you know, you can blame all these sorts of people, but the statistic is the t statistic. And I've been in my role for two and a half years, um, which is, you know, a, a year longer than, than that statistic. In that amount of time, I can make a bigger impact, plus catering the job description to what I wanted to do through selling my skill set to the C-suite. Um, is how I created it. So the phone call literally, literally kicked off with uh, the CEO was citing some some other sales leaders who he thought that like I was aspiring to be like. <laughs> and I basically just was like, oh, hell no, <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> he looked a little bit stunned, but he was like, so what do you want to do? And I said, 
I mean, like I said, why would I do that role? The average tenure is 19 months. Like, why would I do it? Off that statistic alone, there's a million other reasons why I don't want to do it, but that, that one alone. And he said, okay, what do you want to do? So I said, I want to own coaching, training, and development and make that world-class so that everyone knows that this is the place where you go for that. Um, and on top of that, I really enjoy working on the special projects associated with building uh, a, you know, a, a startup. And there's a million uh, little projects that we don't have someone to work on um, that I have the proper skill set before. And then I cited examples in the past where I had done that to him to kind of build the case. And he said, okay. And, uh, you know, and then a couple months later, we, uh, we sort of spent some time figuring out what the right title was because it, it wasn't, um, it, it didn't come to us immediately. We had to put some thought behind it. And then I remember I was at a Inc. 5,000 event and I had to run across the street to a coffee shop for my one-on-one with the CEO and then it, it just came to us and we were like director of revenue performance that's the answer and it was really um it was really cool ironically that day it was the first time I saw in person another LGBT uh CEO um and it was the founder of GT's Kombucha and um, he was actually speaking at that event and I messaged him after the event um and was saying you know thank you for for that and I didn't really mention anything I just sort of said thank you but um so that was sort of tied into that too um and that that was that that same day well the the, the statistics are real if the the gray my beard doesn't prove it um but it, it's it, it's interesting because you're right. Like, you know, I, I think there are crazy expectations to, to, to grow and to perform in a time frame that is just, you know, like it does take time. It does take patience. And, and there, there is that element of it doesn't happen overnight and it's never like a silver bullet to fix pipeline or to, to grow. And so, you know, you mentioned a lot of some like the, there's a lot of little projects that are probably accumulating to, to a big impact. Um, before I ask about some of those projects, though, the, the, the self-awareness is something that's super interesting, right? Like one of the problems in sales, whether you're, you're talking about the tenure for VPs, or even for, for just sales executives, it's, it's 15 months, right? So I, I think there's something that's broken with the profession right now because people are jumping every 15 months, VPs are being fired every 18 months, you know, whatever it is. Um, you know, A, I appreciate the self-awareness, but wh- why, what's, from, from your diagnosis, like what's, what's broken? How do we fix it? Yeah, I mean, I think that, and I, I say this to people a lot, I don't think that there's one person in an organization that is unilaterally responsible for revenue. Um, and I think that we place a lot of stress on CEOs. Um, you know, I have literally seen like a CEO basically have a panic attack on a sales floor, you know, and I've seen another VP of sales replace that person and then also go crazy. Like it's it's a it's a very real thing. You can't think when you cannot think when cortisol is pumping through your vein. You just like can't do it. So um, as far as the problems in the industry, I think a lot of it stems from institutional support and sharing the burden of revenue across organizations. Um, everyone has a state, you know, CEO sort of hire VP of sales, oh, go do your magic. And it just doesn't work that way. Um, and, you know, why, you know, if you deploy a product and the close loss reason has nothing to do with that VP of sales, why should she or he carry that burden? If the real burden is close loss product reason, that's, a, that's someone else's liability there. 
Um, so I think that we need to start thinking about business in the context of everyone has a stake in creating revenue in the company. And it's not just one person who waves their magic wand and like makes their sales appear. Um, so I, I think that that's part of it. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I was very well into my career until I ever got coaching as a manager. So then you have, uh, you have institutionalized, uh, this, this idea of like, uh, we're, we're not going to coach anyone, not even our managers. And so we're not coaching our people. We're not coaching our managers. They're sort of figuring things out on their own. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of it comes to support. And I think, you know, I'm very passionate about enablement. And I think that's why so many companies are focusing on enablement right now, because they realize that it is detrimental to their revenues to not have this enablement function as a backup to creating these cultures of learning um, on their floor that, that really drives the revenue that, that really matters. And without that, I mean, I, I think that, you know, sales teams become paralyzed. <laughs> Big time. I mean, like, I'm, I'm, you know, as you're, as you're kind of talking through it, it, it does make a lot of sense in the sense that it's not, you know, it's, it's, if, if a VP of sales had a magic wand, then it'd be easy. Right. And, and, and then everyone would try and find that wand, but it, it, it doesn't exist. And I think the, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the conversations we've had on this show, it's, it, it sounds like there's just, you know, how people are measured and how performance is defined and, and who's responsible for what seems to put pretty much all the burden and pressure on, on, on the sales, you know, org. Um, and there's, you know, and I think that that's, that's part of it. And so, so to your point, spreading it, like everyone is responsible, everyone plays a part. Um, but I, I do think that, and again, like, I think one of the, the biggest reasons I'm like, I'm rooting for people like you is like, I, I want to see companies invest more in training and enablement um, instead of just throwing more quota to, to, to grow revenue. Cause that's what the board wants to see. It's more investment in the people. Cause you know, that that's, what's going to make people stay just naturally stay sane, but feel, feel like they're being invested in. They're going to have longer term careers, more successful careers, but it's not, you know, it's not the traditional way of, of showing growth. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think, um, I think that, uh, I think we're seeing a trend in things like, uh, revenue enablement and CRO. And I think like, I like a lot of these trends towards revenue because I think it, I think it gets us thinking in a couple of different ways. I think it, it creates alignment inherently across departments. Um, and I think it also gets us thinking about, what are all the micro things? Like, let's be more science-based about some of these things. We know that we can all get better about data, but like, um, what are the little things that we could be doing across the, you know, there's so many, you know, we talk to people on marketing sales ops and sales very frequently, just like by nature of our product. And, you know, I talked to some big, huge household bra uh, brand names that uh, haven't thought of some of the most rudimentary things that you could do to your pipeline you know, I was talking to one the other day that said that they, they were like, oh my gosh, like we got rid of all the Gmail at Gmail, you know, coming through our inbound web form and our revenue went up. And it's just like common sense stuff that, you know, so I think that 
um, that that affects sales. Like not having sales speak with you know shitty prospects um, is something that they might not be able to directly con, uh, control as like the sales leader. Um, but these like little basic things that people still um, aren't doing. And so I think if we're more science based about these like processes and asking why do we do it this way, like why why are we doing all of the different processes this way? And it it shouldn't be oh, I'm going to just buy this tool. I'm going to just do this cadence. I'm going to send this email because everyone else is doing it. You need to ask yourself, why are we doing this? What's the causation behind it? And is this unique to my company or is this an industry standard that should be uh, adopted like widely? And until you can answer those why questions, you know, it's a, it's a really, uh, it's going to be a tough battle. And I think re- stepping in the direction of revenue will help a little bit, at least with, with some of these issues that we're talking about. And I, I love this. I, I'm I'm super pumped up because the last guest we had on Bridget O'Brien from uh, Dialpad literally was talking about a similar science-based approach. And I'm like, this it, it, we can't make this up. Like within the last two hours, you both are referencing science, <laughs> and it's something that doesn't get talked about, but it's so true. Like she talked about coming in and bringing in a hypothesis that she was using while she was, uh, you know, helping care to dolphins in a research project. But that is completely applicable to what you're talking about. So I just want to highlight like that science-based thinking is super, um, super important. And um, I hear it because it doesn't happen enough. Yeah, I think a lot of times we like to like base the, you know, and we're, there's just something we are guilty of in sales. So I, I sort of picked up other departments a little bit. We're guilty of intuition based leading. And um, what I mean by that is we promote the top performer. Uh, and, and not to say, by the way, that a top performer cannot be a good manager. I think it depends on the person and the, and the specific situation. But very frequently, what happens is you promote the top performer into, into management and you say, And then they start leading by, oh, this is how I do it or did it. I want you to do it that way. Or this is what I think should be done next without real like understanding why. And and then you kind of lose, the the team starts losing faith in you. You know, one of the things I try to be good at, um, at least, is coaching people to their strengths and weaknesses and, and tailoring those individual coaching plans to like, you know, if someone's struggling with discovery, I'm not going to talk to them about how they plan out their next steps uh, in a call. Like that needs to be broken down by the rep and what they're struggling on contextually in that moment, based on the calls that they're, they're, you know, uh, they're doing and the single biggest thing that they need to work on in that time. And so, um, and we're starting to see this with revenue intelligence and data. And I think we're just on the cusp of it. And it's, getting rid of some of these like intuition, I think, because I did it that way when I was a rep into what are the insights that I need specifically contextually in this moment to help this specific person get better. And, and then what are the insights to get, you know, the team better as a whole with a more data driven uh, causal relationships behind them. And I think we're like just getting on the, on the cusp of that. And so I think that, you know, uh, you know, people are worried, you know, they say all these weird things on LinkedIn, just cold calling dead, all these debates about email and stuff like that. Um, I think that it's going to be really interesting to watch how the sales profession evolves, you know, and even in the short, like next five years, I think it's going to be really fascinating to watch. It's going to change. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's going to change and it's going to change. It's going to continue to change quick. Um, you know, and, and 
I think I probably, my first time management job, I, I learned the hard, hard way of trying to create a bunch of mini-me's, you know, like I, I, I was trying to train what, what I knew um, versus trying to cater to the individual's, you know, strengths because everyone's going to be, you know, very, very different. You know, I think one of the challenges, you know, first time managers, especially, but, but, but any manager leader has, has a, a challenge with is where do you invest your time and attention? Because you are going to be fairly limited in it from a bandwidth perspective. When it comes to like the L and D side of things, you know, sometimes there's a natural draw and attention to go to, to your bottom 20% because you're trying to bring them up and get them into good, you know, good, uh, you know, good performance uh, measures. You know, there's another school of thought of saying, you know what, like investing your time into your top 20% is going to get you more return, right? More bang for your buck. Um, now, again, there's, there's never going to be a, an abandonment of you're not going to pay attention to people, but wh- where, what's, where, where do you kind of fall on the spectrum? Um, yeah, so I have pretty strong opinions here. So I think that for some people, you know, surprise, surprise, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's always good when we get someone who's like, I feel really passionate about this. And we're like, here we go. Let's go. Um, so... I think that uh, what I try to do in organizations is figure out who are the right people for sales and who are the right people for that organization. And I really, really focus on on that in hiring. Like, we shouldn't be, there's this, uh, I, I hate this saying, but like the hire quickly, fire fast mentality. Uh, I really don't like that. And um, I think that some, if someone isn't a fit, you can identify that really quickly, but it speaks to how your mentality is before you even start hiring them that I think is so messed up. You should go into the hiring process identifying the clear criteria. And this is where, you know, the, the cognitive bias we were talking about a little bit earlier, a lot of it can stem from this too. But um, so they're interrelated, but uh, you have to figure out what are the things that you for your organization and for your, that role that you're hiring for in this context, a sales role, what are the things that it will take for them to be successful long-term uh, and then hypothesize what those things are, test those things out, create a scorecard for hiring. You know, the era of gut check hiring is over. And if you are still hiring that way, you are going to miss the boat a thousand times. And so um, a, a scorecard is one way, a really common way to do that. I think Mark Roberts popularize that and sales acceleration formula and you know a lot of other people are popularizing that right now um and i think that's a really great way uh uh to start it off but it really comes up with hypothesize what are the things that will make people successful in this organization um and and let's see i once heard the weirdest thing this guy was like i want them to do a, a presentation on what they're passionate about and i'm like you know, I could be passionate about soccer, but not be good about sales. So it doesn't, you know, weird things like that coming into the hiring process. Like you, we have to figure out what it will take for them to be successful and then measure them on those things throughout the hiring process and get multiple people, you know, Google calls this swarming, uh, multiple people to sort of measure um, them throughout the hiring process. So we try to do really, uh, I call it empirical hiring. So concrete things that I look for and not gut check hiring. Um, so I think a lot of this starts with hiring and then um, uh, and then from there, um, you're able to make sure that you're at least with a greater percent of accuracy hiring at least middle performers. And when you mess up and hire, you know, someone that's not up for it, like 
it doesn't have to be this terrible thing for both parties. Like if it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. You don't have to make a big deal about it. Um, and they will go on to be successful in something and, and they learn from the organization and you kind of part ways and that's, a, and that is okay and should be uh, normalized when you get it wrong. But it, in, in the case where you should be spending your time, um, I, I, it, it's not so much as a time spend for me as it is uh, I'm focusing on different priorities with different groups of people because usually they're motivated by different things. So my top performers in my experience are the people who have been most money motivated and uh, or or pride motivated. They want to be the top. I mean, I was like that as a performer. I wanted to be on the top like leaderboard because I I wanted the pride factor and I wanted the uh, I wanted the the money. It was very and I just kind of enjoyed the thrill. Like I enjoyed the 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 adventure uh, of being in the top. You know, five percent every single month when you looked at the leaderboard. And then I think uh, people who are in the more middle of the pack maybe aren't as competitive or, you know, aren't striving for that same thing that that other person is. So I might coach them a little bit uh, differently in order to get the maximum possible, you know, impact. One of the top performers on our team right now is not one of those people who's a money, you know, striving for it up for the thrill. So for the past year, I have focused with this person on skill set building in the context of what it makes for him. And ironically, now he's the top, you know, a top performer on our team. Um, and so I think it's just kind of coaching again for me. It goes back to tailoring it to different different people. Uh, sorry, I, I I really loved how you you positioned you know individualized coaching plans like that is something that hits me really hard with my, I have a passion for education, right? So individualized learning and speaking directly to the level at which the person you're coaching is at is a huge way to drive success because a lot of times if you're coaching all of your team in the same exact way, to your point, they're all not motivated by the same things and they're all not trying to get to the same place. So by you just taking a step back and, and taking that individualized coaching approach, I just wanted to highlight that because it's something that if a lot more sales leaders did that, they would understand how to really um, get that done. So I, I just wanted to say kudos to you for, for taking that approach. And I would implore other sales leaders to do to similar because it, it, it's definitely something that's missed. And I definitely know a lot of reps around the, the world right now are thinking like, Oh, wow, like, where do I get this learning from? And they're seeking and hungry and their leaders don't know how to give it to them. So yeah, I agree. Yeah. Okay, I was gonna say you got any no, other uh, uh, no man I I think this is great just because again I think you know Travis and I sort of started this whole concept because we we both have a passion for for learning and, and growing and we want to be able to kind of spread that that feeling that sense that that excitement to to others um and it's it's really oh, exciting voice, to, Kevin oh no Michael there's just, this thing so Every single time we hit like an hour on a podcast, Kevin's microphone just breaks. <laughs> There's something about the timing. Anyway, amazing to talk with you, especially how enthusiastic and passionate you are with this stuff. If if people want to hit you up, have questions, love to, you know, just kind of follow you and, and some of the, you know, the content that you post, where where can people follow you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm most active on on LinkedIn, so you can just search me, Michael Tiso, on LinkedIn, and um, more than happy to uh, connect and talk about any of the topics we brought up today. 
Love it. Thanks so much for joining us, Michael. Really appreciate having you on. Yeah, it was a blast. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Addicted to Growth. If you learned something new, don't be shy. Let people know. The best way to learn a new skill is to practice day in and day out. Go execute something you just learned this week with your community. Until next time.